At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 454th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who finds joy and adventure in the backyard with his kids and nature. We're talking with returning guest Matt Smith about improving family life with a garden. Matt is the creative force behind Smith House Design, an influential marketing and design agency here in Phoenix. He and his wife, Candace live in South Tempe with their five children and are building a food forest and learning space in their backyard. With such an inviting place, they frequently have much of the neighborhood stopping by. Matt, we got to meet you in podcast episode 447 last month. Welcome back to the show. Oh, well, thanks for having me, Greg. That was a fun time, and uh, I'm excited to come back and talk about yet another passion about how gardening and life fold together perfectly. Nice, (laughs) nice. So we've talked to you quite a few times in person, and our crew at the lot uh, get excited when we see the Smith clan showing up at our tree yard. In fact, you do so much with your family that it doesn't surprise me that our topic is about family life in the garden. Can you tell us a little bit about how much your family does in the backyard? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for asking, Greg. I would say more than anyone could imagine. I think, so we have five children who are uh, 10 years and younger. And I think uh, when people imagine children and gardening, what they're imagining is going like berry picking or fruit picking with your children, Uh which is cute, right? Like that's fun. It's magical. Like eat a strawberry, chase a butterfly. (laughs) It's like that storybook. And that does happen. But I would say more importantly, the children are basically bored with screens and they're bored with almost everything except the backyard garden and the fruit trees. Wow! Um, It's been a shocker, Greg how quickly this has happened. Um, on the earlier podcasts, earlier, the one that we recorded, we're only in like year two or three of this. It's just been remarkable. So we've uh, discovered a lot of tricks about how to make this happen, a lot of techniques to get your kids involved. It's just been fantastic. So that's pretty magical that you actually got them off of the screens. Tell me about those tricks that you mentioned. Well, here's the uh, like the quick reality check. Most parents of young children are feel overwhelmed, uh, like you're overwhelmed at just the nature like little kids need your attention. So the solution to that is, you know, you hang out with your kids, you entertain your kids, you get them involved in activities, but whether or not people like to admit it, a lot of times you just hand your child a phone, like here, play this game, look Mm -hmm. at this, whatever, make videos. So we don't have to have that as a default now. So really the secret has been this, Greg, is that we have nature journals. I think you got some images. Is that right? Of that, some of my wife's nature journals. Is that right? Oh yes, I did see those, and yeah. we'll now have to post them on. Yeah, on the show well, notes can page. I, 
Yeah, well, let me tell everybody about it. So basically, nature journaling is our secret. That's what we're talking about here is nature journaling. Nature journaling, like imagine like a moleskin or one of those cool hipster journals, right? Yep. And then you take it in your backyard and you make a decision to not be critical of yourself and your drawing skills. <laughs> That's the first decision you make. Right. I'm not going to try to be an artist, but I'm going to visually study a part of my garden, something little, like walk up to your loquat tree and look at those beautiful, rich, deep green leaves. And you draw them. You stand, you sit, and you draw. And it started with my wife and I that we started to do these nature journals. And then before you know it, the kids' curiosities follow us outside, and they want to journal too. So now each child has a nature journal, and this is a part of our like family rhythm, that if a child is bored or if a child is frustrated or antsy, you send them into the backyard with their nature journal, and you give them a new plant, and you set them up with a chair. And it is amazing to watch children. Like It's like magic. You, like, you walk in the backyard, and wow. you see five children drawing nature. I just so got chills kind of, all the way down to my toes, by the way. that That's <laughs> epic. That is epic. It is. Here's what makes it cool. It's not, I think this is like one of those deceptively simple things. Like, you know, when you talk about taking care of your soil and making sure that you feed your plants and that you do proper soil preparation. Oh yeah. Uh, that's like, that's essential, right? If you don't do that, especially here in Arizona, you're going to fail. But it's a simple thing. It's not hard to do. It's not complicated. You just have to do it. What nature journals do for your child, it's not about them creating art, but teaching them how to see, how to study details, to turn the leaf over and to watch the veining on the back and to look at the texture of like the different patterns, the different colors. It teaches your children to study things. So a typical like American kid goes into the backyard, they kind of glance left, glance, glance right. Maybe you have a football they can toss back and forth. Maybe you have a playground or a rope swing. But ultimately, it cannot compete to the, with the excitement of a screen. And that's because a child hasn't learned how to study in their backyard. But where we're at now is that like we catch our children gossiping about what's going on in the garden. Wow. Like, like whose fruit trees are most fruitful? Like, well, have you seen her apricots? Because one of my daughters takes care of the apricot. Then another one of my daughters will take care of a peach. And then this, you know, and everyone has their own flower bed. And they're constantly talking about the wildlife. They're talking about the birds, the bird sounds. They're talking about the, the different insects, the patterns of the bees moving. They are such students of nature. And this has gone from worst to first in like two years. So it teaches your children how to see. And I think that's the nature journal is essential. It teaches them how to see. And then it creates a conversation that is just so simple. It's so folksy and so beautiful. Wow. And even your son, your son is what, three? Uh, no, he's only two. But he, his, I'll be honest, he can't hear it. He's not listening to this podcast. Uh, his, his drawings are pretty weak, <laughs> but oh, he they're, enjoys they're, the exercise. Yeah, there are two-year-old's drawings, but he's jumping in and doing yeah. it. Oh, are you kidding me? Like he has, he's upset if he doesn't have his own chair. So like, as you mentioned at the show opener that we always get guests that come by. So whether it's friends or families or neighbors, and it's the biggest shocker. Like, again, what do parents do, but try to pry screens out of their children's hands, but you don't know what else to do. So like when people come over and they see it, they just can't understand what planet we live on. And they'll (laughs) see five, like they see five kids sitting down, you know, ear to the ground, you know, looking closely at the base of the Anna apple tree, trying to figure out, is there discoloration in the bark and should we be concerned? You know, 
it's just fantastic. Wow. You're from Planet Smith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful and unique planet that is not like very many. So, but there are some bad things that can happen with gardening with your kids. I do have some warnings. You want to hear these, Greg? Oh, please bring them on. Okay. Like any outdoor project with your children, like anyone who has kids know, don't invite your kids to get involved when you're making a complicated uh, dish in the kitchen, right? Like a seven-year-old can't understand, you know, the proper technique for, you know, a fancy dish or something. It's just not going to happen. Just like the lesson you learn in the kitchen that you invite your kids to help when it's a simple project, when you have a lot of patience, you plan things accordingly, and you're able to psych yourself up. You're like, you know what? We're going to bake a cake, and it's going to be awesome. So we learned that in our kitchen. And when we started what we're doing in the backyard, it's the same thing. If you're under time pressure... Uh, Like, for instance, you know, you've got a quick 30 minutes, you want to put a tree in the ground, you're swinging a pickaxe like a madman. Now's not a good time to call your child over once the the hole is dug and ask them to do all the soil mixture and to put in the mycorrhiza. And, you know, no, that's too much azomite, you know, like you don't want to bring your child into a chaotic or intense time. Only go into it when you have a lot of patience. So that's one tip that I would give people. Another tip is that, you know, give them, you know, give them a sense of ownership. So if they can have the responsibility for watering a tree or for caring for a flower garden or for weeding a certain part of the vegetable garden, that is so huge. They have such pride and ownership. Always, always, always do that. One simple tip that just most people would think of is when you hand your child a water hose and if it has a powerful nozzle on the end, uh-huh. they absolutely, they're going to blast the hell out of that tree. <laughs> There's no, it's just the sport that they love. So make sure that you have one of those nice gentle shower nozzles. But other than that, it's pretty foolproof, right? Like it's hard to make mistakes. Gloves are important, um, especially if you're in an area that might have scorpions. Oh, yes. Uh, so that's, that's very important. Also, you know, if you do have a lot of woody mulch, especially along your concrete block walls, that's not a good place for kids to put their hands in because that might be where scorpions like to be. Mm -hmm. They don't have to. It's not inevitable. But you do want to be careful of that. And then the other thing, too, is that as your children start to become more, um, gosh, I don't want to sound like I I live in Sedona, but as your children start to become more at one with the garden, (laughs) Uh you you have to teach them proper boundaries. Like you have to teach them that, you know, that you should be afraid of some insects and that you should be careful around certain trees. So whether it's, you know, the leaf, you know, if it's an ornamental tree, you know, you just got to warn them. Uh, You know, of course, we've ripped out all the oleanders, but the oleander is a classic example. You know, so you have to help rebuild their, their guard that was taken down. But like I said, this is pretty simple stuff. Yeah. And, you know, really observing and being conscious is sounds like, you know, what, what we're doing here. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why I don't think nature journals are just for kids. We all want to be good gardeners, right? Like you Mm -hmm. want a happy, healthy garden. But sometimes you you forget, like, what, when did we plant this? How, what did, when did it flower? And like, we all take tons of photos on our phone. But if people look in the show notes for this podcast, and you can look at some of my wife's nature journals, it's one of the most rewarding ways to observe your garden. Yeah, Like, it, it is just fantastic. And one thing I know some people are listening and they're like, oh my gosh, this is just more time. Gardening takes a lot of time. You know, now I'm going to go and draw what I just did. I don't have time for that, right? 
But I think this is one of those things where the math changes. Like if you, you know, if you're looking to relax, this is absolutely relaxing. Or if you're looking, you know, all these things factor in, especially like on that same note about how the math changes is that truly when your kids spend more time in your backyard and in your garden, their temperaments level out, their hyperactivity has focus now, they're less naggy, they're not as grumpy, they're more respectful of their food. Like nothing is more respectful of a child than just pick the peach who brings it into the house, right? Oh, like yes. That child will eat every bit of it. So, you know, we've heard those stories a million times that when children grow their own food, they respect it and they love it and they'll, they'll just scarf down all those vegetables. So that's not a new story. But the fact that like the, the time pressure of the busy urban life that we all live when you get your kids into the backyard, everything really changes. And it's just been magical. I feel like I have more free time now than I ever have. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, don't we all need more of that? So I know how busy you are because we've known each other for several years. You know, you got your job and your family. How, you know, how'd you have time to do it all? Well, the, the truth is we are in a two to three, year two or three in a massive renovation of our backyard. Um, I'm not even going to try my front yard, to be honest with you. We have a third of an acre. So I would say we've done a sixth of an acre, right? So I don't right. know what that looks like. But you you begin with the end in mind. We have all heard that. So you have the plan and then you execute it. So it requires patience and confidence. You have to believe that the plan you put in place is worthwhile. And you have to be patient because you can't do it all. Um, like this morning, our garden beds, I was up at 6 a.m. with a paint roller cleaning up the edges of our, our new garden, our new raised beds, you Uh know, and it's one step at a time. So, I mean, unless you're a billionaire, that's the only way good stuff gets done in this world, right? It's one step at a time. Right. For me, like, and for my wife too, like for Candace and I, there's nothing better than waking up at sunrise, making a cup of coffee and spending time in the garden. Like, is there anything better than that? (laughs) There's not, you know? So it's, I don't think it really competes with anything. It just kind of sets the tone. What, what is it you always say, Greg? What are the biggest health problems? What was that thing you always share with us? Oh, well, there's three things in our culture that cause 100% of the disease. Is that what you're going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Share that with everybody. Yeah, so that's lack of nutrition in our food environmental toxins and stress. And what I say is that we can manage all all of that to a higher level if we're out in the garden because you're less stressed in the garden. You, by creating healthy soil, you get healthier food. So we're putting in better food and we have control over the toxins that are going in to our food. So that's, yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm living it. And I, I know a lot of people listening right now are living it too. Yeah. So you lost your daughter in the yard and you found her in a unique place. Tell me about that. Well, let's start with the first part of your question. Did we lose our daughter? Any parent knows that there's probably five times a day where you have three to 10 seconds of panic because you can't find your child. So whether you're, you're in line at Target uh-huh. or wherever you are, it's the like children, they don't care. They go where they want. They don't go where you want. So Everyone can relate to that. We've got a pretty big house, lots of rooms and lots of space. And uh, my wife, Candace, was panicking. She's like, I can't find Roxana. Where is she? So Roxana is four years old. So we're looking all around the house, starting to get a little anxious, starting to get a little nervous. Of course, I'm trying to be very calm. And then we bust into the backyard. We're going all around the yard. And we found her underneath the corner of this new, well, it's not a new, but it's a Katie apricot. 
Uh-huh. She had found the most beautiful shaded corner next to a pine tree tucked next to this big playhouse that we have. She had set up the whole scene. She had set up her little lounge chair. She had some ice wow. water. Like this four-year-old had created a little bit of artsy gardening heaven. And she was so calm and so peaceful. So she has an army of loved ones, a so mom and dad, her sisters and brother, I'll just come charging out the back door. She doesn't bother, you know, to listen when we call her. Finally, we come across her and she's, I don't know how to describe it, but she just, she's like, well, where did you think I was? (laughs) (laughs) So did you get a picture of it? Oh yeah. We had, well, uh, my wife, I'm sure she did. I don't know if I had the wherewithal to grab my phone as I was running around the house, but we've got plenty of photos of the kids in the backyard. Oh, by the way, when it comes to nature journaling, colored pencils are good. You know, we all know those. They're nice and easy. A simple pencil or pen. You don't have to overthink this. Watercolors can be a lot of fun. You can experiment with those. Uh But simple notes, you know, like when we do under, I hope that people understand, like we're not doing like a still life, right? Like, you know, like if you think of art classes that you imagine in college, it's a bunch of students sitting around a table and there's like a basket of fruit and they're all with their oil paints, you know, recreating what they see in front of them that we know we're not doing still life. Like we're doing, think of it half textbook and half personal journal. Like, you know, you're asking questions through your journal, like what's going on with my peach? Why are my figs not working? What am I observing? We take notes on weather. We take notes on like temperature patterns, taking notes on rainfall, So when you flip through these pages, it's not just pretty pictures of fruit on branches. There's a little bit of that, but you actually see evolution. My wife has a beautiful spread where you can see week after week how one of our peach trees flowered, and you actually get to see the evolution of the plant. So there's so much creativity. And what's really quite fun is when, you know, we have guests that come over and we just start to share our nature journals. And, you know, we'll we'll be in the house. And we'll share our nature journals and they'll flip through and they'll start to study and ask questions. And then before you know it, they take the nature journal in their hands and they say, let's go outside and look at your garden. I want to see this plant. You know, I know I'm I'm very, I'm campaigning hard for this. So I apologize for all the listeners if I sound so zealous, but nature journaling is such a cool supplement to gardening. And the, it, it just is a fantastic gift that you can give your children and to, you know, as to yourself, yourself, you know, as a gardener. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to, I want to be real clear here though, because I saw Candace's nature journal and she's an extraordinary artist as is my mom. My mom's been painting murals around the urban farm here on walls lately. And um, that wouldn't be my level of journaling if I were to get out there, you know, so you don't have to be good to do this. Oh, no, no, that's the fun. This is your journal. This is not artwork. This is not going to be hung in a gallery. Uh-huh. This is how you are have you know, that internal dialogue that you have when you go into the garden, you're putting that on paper. It's been really good. Like here we are in year two or maybe year three, depending on what part of the garden you're in. And it's quite remarkable to go back and, and to say like, wow, this time last year, this is what we're looking at. And here we are in front of us. And it's nice and compact. Like, again, we all have tons of photos on our phone, but, you know, don't we, what's like the average phone has 20,000 photos. Right. Like, it's so difficult to go back in and to find that. But when it's in a nice, tightly bound, like, moleskine or something like that, it's pretty fantastic. But to your point, Greg, it does not have to look awesome. I mean, you're going to love every page, whether it looks great or not. Right. Awesome. So what changes have you seen in your children along the way? 
What changes is uh, my kids are very social and very active. Sometimes when they're with their friends, they may not have a lot of confidence. So if a friend wants to talk about some pop star or some whatever, my kids don't chime in the conversation with much confidence. Like they'll keep the conversation going. But what I see from my kids is you have never seen a more confident child than when my kids talk about their garden. I mean, like, if you want to talk about self-esteem, of course, the girls love their dance classes. They, you know, they're very passionate about that. But the changes I've seen, it's like, it's just so folksy, Greg. Like, I thought this whole chapter, like, this whole thing went away with, like, Little House on the Prairie, Uh or that it went away, like, with invention of the internet. Like, I thought this era of, like, beautiful, simple wholesomeness was not a possibility. So when you see that, you know, show up within your kids, within the modern context, I mean, how can you put words to that? Like, how can you put words to the fact that like your children are utterly bored, you know, with with screens and games, you know, like that seems impossible. So I guess the changes, like, There's obvious ones, but there's more profound ones. And you're just kind of sit back as a family. And like, it's one of the blessings that my wife and I count. Like when we first started our garden, we didn't have time for it. We didn't have enough money. We didn't have enough time. We didn't have enough uh, clear headspace to make the decisions. But my wife was passionate about it. And I knew we needed to do it. You know, we went on to YouTube. That's where we met Greg Peterson. (laughs) You know, we decided to go for it. Probably Jake Mason, a few other people too. Oh yeah, Jake was huge. Jake was so inspirational. We went on the garden tours. Yeah, that's where it all started. And so I'm really hoping, like I know there's some people right now who are sitting on the fence. They feel like they need to do more planning or like family life is too busy and you just want to, you know, we'll just wait another day. And if you have to plan, if you have to have, you know, like it's not, you know, tomorrow is not always a possibility but there's, it's so rewarding now, you know, our trees are fruiting so well. Um, like you and I were talking before the show, like right now on the tree, of course we have goji berries. We have, well, we have acerola cherry flowers. Uh, we, we don't have cherries yet, but we're optimistic. We have Jamaican cherries on our Jamaican cherry tree. We have Katie apricots. We have tropic snow peaches. We have desert gold peaches. Anna apples have been rocking. Like the Anna apples are so handsome, pomegranates, figs, you know, not, not bad, you know, for trees that have been in the ground for two or three years. Right. So it's happening. So for all the listeners right now who, you know, are like enjoying the entertainment value of this, like look in your backyard, what's a tree you can put in the ground now? Because believe me, 12 months from now, you're going to be so glad that you had the fortitude 12 months ago to put that pick to the ground, to dig a hole and to put that tree in the ground. Like that first tree you put in the ground. Like, what was your first tree that you put in your ground? A peach. Do you remember? Tree. Yeah, it was a. It was a. I believe it was a mid pride peach, and it was in 1976. Oh my gosh, that's before Saturday, Saturday Night Fever, Greg. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, is it still live today? Oh, I I doubt it. We left that house. I left that house in 1982. So, generally, stone fruit last about 25 years. And if you do the math, that was uh, over 40 years yeah, ago. So, so. <laughs> yeah. So that, but you remember, right, Greg, oh, you yeah. remember just the joy that it's unlike an ornamental, like there are beautiful ornamental trees, but there's something about a fruit tree 
that adds magic to life. Mm-hmm. And it's not a new, it's not a new idea. This is ancient. Uh, you know, humans have done this for millennia. It's just somehow we forgot over the last 50 years. We, we lost it and we're trying to relearn it. So how do your kids deal with inevitable failures that they find in the garden? Oh, great question. How do kids deal with failures? With a lot of tears. <laughs> so, I bet. Okay. I mean, if you're not crying when a tree dies, you know, as a child, then you didn't really care about that tree when it started, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So there have been tears that, you know, we lost a Tangelo and that was a terrible time, especially when I ripped it out of the ground, they were devastated. And so what we do now is we swap trees out. <laughs> so if one is looking really weak, when the kids aren't looking, that can take oh the thing off a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think our oldest one was catching on. They're like, hey, why is this tangible all of a sudden smaller? <laughs> and nicer so, looking. Yeah, nicer looking. But, you know, I think, of course, that what is the garden but a constant parable for life lessons? Mm-hmm. You know, like, it is. Like, it's the ancient parable of life, life lessons. Like, every, you know, lasting religion will draw inspiration for teaching when it comes to the garden. So that is no different. So for your child, you know, if a tree dies because we didn't care for it, boy, there's a lot you can teach about that. So, you know, as a, as a parent, I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, I, I, it would be sad if the only parable that we had was, well, you just lost a video game. What does that tell you about life? You know, right. we don't have to tell those stories, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, the failures come and go, but there's also comedy that comes with it. My kids now tease me. They're not too convinced I'm the best pruning person, and they'll call out some of my pruning fails. Failure doesn't always have to be sadness. You can joke about it, too. Awesome. So we've already touched on that you have non-family members pop into your house. What epic moments have you run into? First of all, these epic moments happened to Candace and I when we, you know, had three little kids in the little backpack or, you know, in a baby carrier when we did a tour of your backyard or a tour of Jake's backyard, is that the experience of a garden is so different than the experience of a run-of-the-mill, like, backyard. You know, your builder-grade backyard. Like, here in Phoenix, and, you know, we have listeners everywhere, but here in Phoenix, builders, you know, when they go and build a community, they're trying to give you the most square footage, you know, all all the, the, the least amount of effort they can do to sell you a house at the top dollar. So when it comes to the least amount of effort, that usually means the backyard is very predictable. It's very obvious. It is a small patch of grass that has a a concrete curb around it. Mm -hmm. And between that concrete curb and the wall, we have gravel, of course. (laughs) And we have two to three desert trees, and that's about it. That is people's, um, that is their, their baseline experience of what a backyard would be, you know? So I think what happened to us when we went into a true garden, is that we didn't know that you could have it all, that you could have a beautiful backyard, that it could truly fruit, like it could produce everything you love about the produce department at Whole Foods. You know, that's where everyone on earth feels super poor is when you go into the produce department at Whole Foods because there's so much you want, (laughs) there's so much you want to get, but with $25, you're going to get like four persimmons, right? (laughs) That's about it. And like a dragon fruit if you want to refinance your house. To, to free right. up some extra cash, yeah, you know. Exactly. So 
to go into a true garden, like it is aesthetically beautiful. You know, of course, there's some rangy ratchet food for us, but that's not our style. But like you can truly have it all. So I think what happens when people come in our backyard is they see the same thing that they see like, wow, this is totally different. Like, it, you know, what's a what's your favorite like tree just for pure good looks that's also a fruit tree? What are some of your favorites? Well, I think the apricots are stunningly beautiful and they make incredible. So I'd, I'd Absolutely. say that I'd say the that and then the uh, Pakistani mulberry is majestic. Oh yeah, the Pakistani mulberry is literally like it is the emoji of what a great tree looks like. Yeah, like it looks like the tree emoji. What are your thoughts on the plum? Oh, the plums are beautiful. They've got a smaller leaf than the peach, uh, and they stand up straighter. They're very alert and upright. Yep. So right there, we hit the mulberry. We did um, the apricot. The apricots are very full. The leaves are very playful in the wind. And that creates really good dotting of like the sun, the filtered light on the ground beneath it. And the plum is just architecturally flawless. Like the plum is a true ornamental plant. Like my neighbor has ornamental plums. He's got 10 of them. What I want to say to my neighbor is, dude, do you know you can get that same good looking plum tree, but also get plums too? <laughs> you know, So I, I think that's what happens. So people start to walk around the yard and, and they can't believe that these good looking trees also provide fruit. Like it's it, in past generations, this is totally obvious, but that's a new thing here. Yeah. Um, I would say the, the last epic thing is the length of time that people spend in your garden. Most backyards, you need a trampoline, a hot tub, a pool, a volleyball net. What else? Like, what are the other standards of a backyard? A goofy, like, concrete grill. Yeah, you know, like, these are exactly. all the fixtures of a standard backyard, just with hopes of creating some sort of outdoor living that everyone knows you're supposed to do. But, like, right now, what we've offered to make that happen is insufficient. Like, it can't get it done. So my friends who have the most built out backyards with those standards come to my backyard and like in their own backyard, it's like, okay, 30 minutes before you go back inside. But literally like Easter Sunday, Easter Sunday afternoon, the backyard, literally we had a seven hour party in the backyard. (laughs) Seven hours. Like we could, people were not like, I felt bad that we decorated the interior of the house for the party because nobody cared. So I guess, isn't that it though, Greg? Like, isn't that what it comes down to? Is it that really like does. your garden, your garden becomes something that is unlike anything else. And it's in the same space that you would have that lame landscape that everyone else has. So if that's not epic, I don't know what is. It's yeah. taking what you have and making it more than anything you knew it could be. Yeah. And for those of you that missed episode 447, when we had Matt on last month, go back and listen to it because he talks all about what his backyard looks like. Yeah, and look at the show notes too because you'll see some photos as well. Of course, it's a, it's a work in progress, guys, so I'm not going to pretend my backyard is perfect. I need to show you this is doable, so you're going to see some grungy corners in the corner of the photograph if you study Good. it well. Yeah. You're like, hey, what is this? Is that an upside-down cooler from Costco? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, and nature's not always beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, actually, let me let me say that differently. Nature's always beautiful. It, nature doesn't always look great. Well, I'm challenging that, Greg. I'm determined. I've got these figs that we've espaliered. Uh-huh. Um, we're trying to make the fig 
not look like an anarchist plant. Um, <laughs> right. We're, uh, so we've we've taken our most well, my kids call them ratchet, but the most ratchet trees and plants, and trying to teach them to be a little bit more preppy. So we're a little bit more maniacal about that. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect, perfect. You also, you started a new uh, project, your farm-to-table project on the culinary side of your garden. Tell me about that. Yeah, here's the deal. Every discussion of a garden should be a discussion of food. Like that, uh, I mean, this is super obvious, but like my wife and I, like I used to live in New York City. I've lived in New Orleans and Los Angeles. I've lived in a lot of like culinary centers in America. Really like everyone's journey of gardening is ultimately about bringing the harvest into the house. So that's always the fun. Like you gave me this advice when it came down to like, what kind of trees do you plant? Start with the question, what kind of fruit do you like to eat? Yes. Like this is a gift that you give yourself. So what we've done is, so right now it's been all pretty much fruit trees. We've done microgreens. We do a lot of like uh, flowers and we've experimented with fruiting bushes, but straight up vegetable gardens is what we're launching right now. So what we have is on the side of our home, we have four raised beds. Adjacent to that, we have an outdoor dining table. On the other side of the outdoor dining table, we're putting an outdoor fireplace. And also imagine that same area, a large, now now just imagine this, Greg, it's like a potter's bench, like, you know, a potter's table, I mean, like a potter's table. It's simple. It's folksy. It's cool. So our potter's table is actually equal parts potter's table and outdoor sink and outdoor grill like i refuse to have think about this like think about this story greg we're gonna pull this is so goofy i know you can hear my voice but you pull the carrots right you rinse them off in your outdoor sink you chop them you chop them on your outdoor table and then uh you know toss them in some herbs and uh maybe some butter and then you lay them down on the grill right like to actually you never go in your house when you're preparing dinner or if you have an outdoor party, a garden party that literally you can uh, harvest with your friends and family. You can harvest from your garden. You can all be a part of the preparation and do all of your food prep outside and not once step inside the house. So we're so excited about that. We're doing an outdoor porch swing as well, like a nice uh, gentle swing. And that's going to be next to our small orchard. But I'm pretty stoked because, you know, we all know like for outdoor grills, like I want, uh, I want to see this go right because what I know about outdoor grills is there's the freestanding ones that are like just big, like acres of stainless steel. You yep. know, they look expensive, but they kind of, they're kind of classy, but at the same time, they're a bit of an eyesore. Then there's those super goofy ones where like a builder does like two by fours and then they wrap it with some sort of sheeting. And then they put like the stacked stone exterior you know, trying to make it look more permanent. Yeah. And like, you know, b- both of those are okay if that's your style. But I really want to do like with that potter's table, a nice big potter's table with a sink and a food prep area. But it's durable enough to truly, you know, do potting if you wanted to as well. And then on the end, have that built-in stainless steel grill. So I haven't seen it done, but I'm excited. I have, I have the drawings complete. I've got the wood purchased. And then this next week, we're going to dive into it. And I am so excited. Are you kidding me? I'm going to turn on some, turn on some Bob Marley. Kids are going to be out there doing their sketches. We'll be eating peaches, and I'll be making my awesome outdoor grilling space. Nice. Well, it sounds like you and your family are stoked for playing in the backyard. 
Yeah. The only thing though, Greg, is we need some help. So I don't know if you know a gardener who needs to come over. I'm thinking maybe it's your turn, right, buddy? <laughs> you got to get over here and see what we're doing. There you go. Absolutely. Yeah. You just got to bring all uh, some of all that extra fruit you have in your garden that we don't have yet. <laughs> so if you come over for dinner, you got to bring some bushels. Yeah. I'll tell you what, the peaches and apricots and apples are coming on big this year. What new piece of advice do you have for our listeners today? Sometimes people can be way too timid when it comes to their hobbies and passions. I don't know where this comes from, but some people hide their hobbies and passions. They're not eager to share them. And clearly, I'm not one of these people. But within my own neighborhood, I have been hesitant. You know, I'm in a neighborhood association, so we're not a straight up HOA, but we do have some rules. Uh, The rules don't prohibit backyard gardening. But what we're doing is pretty aggressive. It's pretty, pretty epic. I've been a little hesitant to, to open up the gate. You know, like when, when in the show open, when you talk about neighbors stopping by, uh-huh. we're talking about some very specific guests. You know, we're not talking about Bob who lives next door. But at our last um, neighborhood association meeting, I decided just to spill the story because people were asking. Nice. And it was, re- it was remarkable you know, I tell the story, like I just kind of just blurted it all out. And I'm thinking somehow someone's going to open up like a big stack of paper and say, well, according to ordinance number 752 on page 982, um, you cannot have stone fruit or something like that. But what I actually got was a bunch of neighbors who say, oh my gosh, I've always wanted to do that. I just, you know, (laughs) like, so, so if someone's, you know, if you're passionate, clearly if someone's listening to this podcast, they believe in, in what we're doing, but just don't hesitate. Like there should never be a moment where you hesitate to share your passions. And I know each person is multifaceted. Like we're passionate about quite a bit of things. Gardening is one of them. But I just got to believe, Greg, this world can sparkle more if we just have like optimistic, joyful, proud people just uh, fearlessly sharing yes, their passion. Yes, you know? Yeah. I just got to believe that can happen. So that's my newest advice is share your passions. Don't be afraid. Just keep going. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us once again on the show today, Matt. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And thanks for all these good podcasts. I enjoy listening to the show too. You bet. And how can our listeners get a hold of you? Yeah, I would say um, go to the show notes. Yeah, that's the best place to go. So you tell them how to get there and everything will be tucked in there. Perfect. So you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash smithhousenature. And if you would like to hear more from Matt, you can find him on our 447th episode at urbanfarm.org forward slash smithhousedesign. We are your urban farming resource. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and everywhere podcasts are found. Also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles, webinars, courses, and more. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed 
or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.